Throwback Weekend here, folks, for boxing fans. Combat Talk Radio. My name is Leister. I'm your host, and I'm going to be going through some amazing fights. These are all on DAZN pay-per-view. And for the first time, I'm going to say it might actually even be worth the pay-per-view for this because it's, it's, it's not all the way, but in some ways, a throwback to the olden days of Don King putting on stacked events for heavyweights because that's what we've got is stacked events, back-to-back, amazing fights. The Saudis funded it, so we're getting it. And and I know there's some out there like on NSB that are not going to agree, but the truth is that the time, the start time, has always been a letdown for me. I like start times to be around noon, somewhere between noon and 5 p.m. on the U.S. side because if they start around, like, say, noon to 2, it allows the U.K. folks to get, get in and watch the fights not too late. For them, I think that's like 8, 9, 10, 11 in the evening but then also people are like well it needs to be at night why you're not watching the shit anyway especially if it's fights you didn't want to see if it's fighters you don't want to see like boring ass frank sanchez who is on this by the way you're not going to stay up to watch that you're not going to stay up to watch boring fights you're not going to stay up to watch all in volin stab and jabbing uh, all night long but if it's in the afternoon you're not dead tired you're not worn down you know, and you can then go on your evening events and some of you just go booze at the pub or whatever. You know, now you can enjoy the fight in the midday. That's the lights still open up there. You're not cranking it up and, and causing people to not get sleep. And then with you, like you do, because, you know, you do that where you're waking up your damn neighbor, wondering what the hell's wrong with you. Now it's normal. Everybody's awake. You're not going to be disrupting anybody. People are probably out spending time. They're spending time with their families. So it's a good time. It's a great start time. It starts, the event starts at 2 p.m. Eastern in the United States, 7 p.m. in the UK. These are great start times, in my opinion, for this stacked event. Let's get down and dirty with this again. The zone pay-per-view, if you want to check this out. And I, I honestly do think it may be worth it for this one event. I wouldn't do it for anything else. But for this one, I'm probably going to even do it. And I might even consider going live. I haven't fully committed that because some of the fights are like, eh. I'm going to go in reverse order best I can. The times are kind of sketchy, obviously, because there could be knockouts or something. But starting up at the deck here, this is in the Kingdom of Rita in Riyadh at Saudi Arabia. They're funding this again. Uh, this is heavyweight. The vast majority of what I'm going to cover are heavyweights. Mahmoudov fighting Kabayel, uh, Agit Kabayel. Uh, so... Obviously, I know both guys. Both are undefeated. Both have been on a tear. Both have been on clear win streaks off the past. Mahmoudov, of course, is a knockout beast. And I, I suspect the same here. And that's not dinging on Kabayel because I do rate Kabayel. I think he's a great, solid contender. But Mahmoudov, I feel, is on another level. Now, the one thing I, I did notice when I looked at the numbers, Kabayel is... He's skilled, like he has really good skill. And the one thing I might see, I doubt it, but I might see, is him being able to catch Mahmoudov coming in, trying to go for the kill, just like with Bully Bechtemir getting caught by Gabe Rosado. You know, something like that, I the you know, theoretically could happen. I don't see it, just because I do highly rate Mahmoudov way higher as a fighter, more well-rounded in my opinion. And he just seems like dangerous as hell. But at the same time, Kabayel has been able to force stoppages at times because he's clipped a dude or whatever. So this is going to be a good fight, I think, for as long as it, as long as it lasts. I don't know if it's going to go the distance, but that one's I think is going to be a hell of a fight for as long as that lasts. Uh, and then I... Uh, uh, Born-ass Frank Sanchez fighting Junior Fa. 
this, I'm, I'm telling you now, this fight's going to be a stinker on, on both sides. I'm, I'm being fair. Frank Sanchez is bored as hell, but it's going to be a stinker on both sides. Junior Fa is not that exciting. Junior Fa is a, he's skilled, but he's not that exciting. He got knocked out in his last fight. I was not impressed with him. And then born ass Frank Sanchez, he just stinks out the joint every time. I, I understand why they had him on the on the bo- on the dockets because he's a heavyweight and they wanted to stack it with heavyweights. I get it, but if you could have picked anybody, the damn hell else. I just this one I would skip, and unfortunately, it's right around. I think this was it's estimated to start roughly about uh, let's see uh, five hours from now, six hours from now. I don't know. I, I would I'm skipping this one, bro, because I'm like, god damn, fuck. I'm not even gonna waste time with a prediction on this one. It's going to go the distance, almost guaranteed. Sanchez might pull something out and get a stoppage or something. That's possible, but whatever. Then, Jaya Opataya fighting Ellis Zorro. Very good fight. Undefeated, both guys. Uh, Jaya Opataya's quality, quality. Zorro's skilled, but I've not been impressed. He's skilled. He's talented. I'm not dismissing him. I'm not dinging him. I've just not been impressed with him. Personally, this is actually for the top. This is for the ring at cruiserweight, by the way, uh, supremacy. So the the winner of this fight is going to be heralded as pretty much the guy at cruiserweight. Right now, Jaya Otai has been perceived as the guy, but until he beats Zoro, he's not going to really be crowned as the guy. So it's a fight worth watching, absolutely, for the cruiserweights and understanding what they're having in there. I think Jaya Pattaya easily wins this one. I could get that way wrong, but I think he easily wins this one on the books. He's got every advantage in this one, does Opataya, and he's he's highly skilled. I would argue he's more impressive overall than what I've seen so far as Zoro. That's not dinging on Zoro, it's just levels, in my opinion. So I think we're going to get a new lineal, official lineal champion in Jai Opataya uh, at Cruiserweight. Then, oh, the amazing fight here, <laughs> Daniel Dubois. He's fighting the returning Jarrell Big Baby Miller. Of course, Joshua named him Big Pharma Miller because that one of the fights he was supposed to be fighting was Anthony Joshua. And then he did the weigh-in, he did the face-offs, he did everything, and then he popped for PEDs, but he popped for three different PEDs. So Joshua named him Big Pharma Miller. So then he got suspended for a while. He came back on some unsanctioned fights, was knocking dudes out. He's looking big as hell. He's 333 pounds at the weigh-in on this one. He's huge as hell. But he's got a mouth. He can talk. He can sell the fights. And that's really what, that's why they keep putting him, why they keep booking him, because they know he keeps selling fights. And at the pressers, he called out, you know, Joshua don't want no smoke with Deontay Wilder. And, you know, just he sold it. He kept it alive. He kept it hot. And that's why they book him. Dubois is quiet. Dubois has quit his past two fights. Dubois doesn't seem to have the heart. And he looked very uncomfortable on the weigh-ins and on the face-offs. So this one's interesting because, Miller's coming in again, career huge, 333 pounds. It's nothing to shake a stick at. Obviously, Dubois has a, he has a slight height advantage over Miller, does he? Reach is the same, which surprised me. The, the thing with Dubois is heart. It's not skill, it's heart. He'll, he'll go for the first couple of rounds, and then he just crumbles. So if he doesn't get you out of there before round six, he just seems to falter and fail. Well, big baby Miller's going to keep coming at you. He doesn't stop. He's relentless. He keeps coming at you. He keeps rushing through. And I'm concerned that Dubois may not be able to do anything to keep Miller off him. The weird thing is that Miller's crazy old compared to Dubois. And with that weight that he's carrying around, his tank should be crap. So my point is, is that Dubois, he's really got only one strategy that I see, which is the actual opposite of what he normally does. 
he's got to actually go past six. He's got to extend Miller. He's got to keep it going, keep it going, keep it going, keep the energy, keep after it. You know, watch out for the bully tactic, but he's got to keep after him until past round six and hope that Miller gasses and then go for the kill while watching out for bombs coming back his way. I'm not suggesting that Miller always knocks people out, but he's up there in terms of knock, knockouts and stoppages. So I'm, if, if DeWah hears it, and I don't think he will, but if DeWah hears it, it's like, you got to you got to get some heart here, bro. You got to keep it up and keep it past the six. That's, that's your main strategy. I don't think you're going to be able to get him out prior to round six, in my personal opinion. That's my call on that one. That's a hell of a fight to watch just because of the, you know, what we're dealing with in styles. A light heavyweight action's on here. 12 rounds. Uh, Dimitri Vival makes his return. He's fighting Lyndon Arthur, and this one's got a lot of eyes on it, primarily because Lyndon Arthur, from a skill perspective, appears to be at least one of the few that might be able to give Bivol some problems. Now, I watched it, and I did watch some footage, and I, I don't see the same thing other people see. It, it seems to me like, although he's skilled, I'm not saying he's not, he is skilled, I don't see that he's got enough to deal with Dimitri Bivol from a skill-to-skill perspective. I think what people are resonating with is his last couple fights for Arthur. Arthur, he's off a four-fight streak. Of those four, three of them were knockouts. The other was a dominant decision. But then prior to that, he got knocked out in the fourth round. My point is only, yes, he's talented. Yes, he's skilled. But I feel like Bivol is just a step above. I think he's a level above for the light heavies. And I think that this one is going to showcase more of Bivol's more well-roundedness because it seems like he's getting more comfortable at the weights that he's fighting at than what he was a little bit before. Seems like he's kind of getting into a groove where it's easier for him by and large. And so this one's going to be worth watching just because if you like pure boxing fights, you know, this is going to be one of those. Remember, Bivol is lineal. So if, if Arthur can pull this off, it's a huge win for him in his career. Then our co-main, 12 rounds, of course, heavyweight, Deontay Wilder, the Bronze Bombers, fighting Joseph Parker. I hate this fight. I hate the fight because, first of all, Wilder is not as active as he was, and I would like to have seen that he'd be more active because he's he's already up there. He's 38 years old. He hasn't taken significant punishment. Obviously, there's Fury, there's Ortiz, but he hasn't taken significant punishment at all. But he's not been as active as I would have liked to have had him. He said in an interview, you know, like Parker, he was ducking me. So, you know, so that's his excuse is that people are just ducking him. And that's the reason why he doesn't do like body on the record and everything else is because it scares people off. That's what he said. So I don't know for sure that's the case. All I'm saying is I don't like how inactive that he's been. The second reason I don't like the fight is because Joseph Parker, of every fighter at the freaking heavyweight division, He's the one that doesn't show up at the top level. We've seen it time and again, every time. He'll look great at the B level. He'll he'll spark dudes out. He'll get stoppages. He'll dominate unanimous. He's done it. His last three, dominant last three. Prior to that, knocked out in the 11th. He just, he every time he steps up to the A level, he gets knocked out, beat. And in his case, he only got knocked out the one time but he gets beat when he steps up to the A level because it seems like he doesn't give it his all at the A level. And I don't know what the hell that's all about, but it pisses me off about him because otherwise he's, he's stylistically good. He made, he had, 
when he fought Joshua, right? The ref, <laughs> it's a funny sequence. The ref was helping Joshua the whole damn night through. There's a segment where Joshua's tapes coming off his wrist. The ref pulls Parker aside and he's distracted and Joshua loosens the tape. He purposely pulls and loosens the tape to force a ref stoppage to get an extended break. So already you got a break an action because of the ref because Joshua was, he was gassed. He was tired. And then he pulls the tape to get another break. And Teddy Atlas called it out too. It's like, it was obvious that the ref was trying to help Joshua get a breather. And Parker still couldn't get the job done again. It's like, dude, step up and take this out. And so now with Wilder, you know, with the reach advantage alone, the reach advantage is significant. The height advantage is significant. The only thing that Parker has in terms of an advantage is age. If we're being honest, that's not saying Parker can't get the W. I'm saying that I'm disappointed that Wilder's been so inactive. So we don't know where his head's at. And then you got Parker who doesn't step up at the A level. If Parker can pull this off, it's a huge win and it validates that Wilder's not a level. That's what it tells us. If Wilder knocks Parker out inside of four rounds, which is what I suspect happens. It, that's my theory. I can't, I'm not strong on that. That's a gut instinct. But if he knocks him out inside of four rounds, it's like Parker, dude, time to hang him up, man, because that's, you should not at this point, it's from a skill for skill perspective. You shouldn't have any trouble with Wilder. I'm saying that every time you step up to the A, you don't show the same level of tenacity that you show at the B. And I don't know what the, almost cussed. I don't know what the hell that's all about. Then our A-side top level fight, the main event. Anthony Joshua fighting Otto all in volume. So I'm mixed opinion on this fight. I'm really mixed opinion on this fight. It is true to say that Otto all in volume's claim to fame is cutting, you know, Tyson Fury and arguably there should have been a forced stoppage. Everybody knows that. We saw it. It is what it is. Volin has largely not fought top level since. I mean, it was breezy. But other than that, he hadn't really fought too much top level. But he's another one that looks really good against the B level and struggles against the A level because it's not like he was dominant against Fury. He got the cut. He was cheating, right? So it is what it is. The ref didn't call it. Joshua, I don't know where his head's at. I don't even know with him if it's a head issue or a heart issue. I don't know what it is. It's not physical. We know it's not physical. It seems like it's either head, something with his mind, or it's heart with Joshua. And that's the concern everybody has is number one. Number two is the fact that Volan is a southpaw, which will play into factor. Volan doesn't have enough power to do what Ruiz did, so that's what it is. But the concern is if, if Joshua is not 100% on this one and focus, he's going to look terrible. So even if he does win, if he looks horrible against all in Volant, it's not going to look good for his prospects to fight Tyson Fury or fight Deontay Wilder. The story going around is that Deontay Wilder winning his fight and Joshua winning his fight opens the door for a fight between the two of them in Q1 of 2024, which is the fight everybody wanted to see back when they were undefeated. I'm not sure that there's still the same appetite like there was before. It's still a good fight, but I'm not sure it's the same appetite that there was when they were both undefeated and they should have fought. On both sides, I blame both sides. It's not a one-sided thing. I'm blaming both. They should have fought when Joshua had all of the belts except WBC and Wilder had WBC and Fury was still sitting on the couch eating. Wilder and Joshua should have tangled to unify the division at that point. Then that winner called Tyson Fury out because at that point, that'd be the only way to get the lineal. That's what I would have, that's what I would have wanted to see out of both guys that we didn't get to see. So I'm, again, 
This one's mixed because I don't know where Joshua's head's at. I don't know where his heart's at. I know what Otto Wallen is. He is what it is. I'm, I don't know what to think about Joshua in this one. That's the only mixed opinion I've got. Other than that, it's a solid fight. If it wasn't, you know, if we were talking peak Joshua, let's say before he got rocked by Ruiz, if we were talking that version of Joshua, I would think it's a hell of a fight, and I would think that it would be a good test for both guys. I would, I would not be able to pick it. But since what happened to Ruiz, he just seems like Joshua. It just seems like he's not all there. And then what happened with, you know, Usyk, like I don't – I, the whole rant after the fight, like, I don't know where his head's at. I don't know where his heart's at. I, do, I don't think it's a heart issue. I think it's a head issue. I think his mind's not right. It seems like he's trying to get it back. He seems to be talking a little bit more confidently, but he's also talking kind of weird in confidence. Like he said in an interview, given a chance, he would rather fight for a title than fight Wilder. And that pissed a lot of fans off because it's like, you got to be kidding me. Legacy is about who you fight. He's Joshua's not wrong, though. There's belt chasers. Crawford's a belt chaser. Canelo's effectively a belt chaser. The Charlos are belt chasers. Belt chasers, Haney. Belt chasers is normal. It's not about necessarily who you fight. In the business of boxing, the belts are what draw fans. Being the belt holder is what gets you the money. And they know that. The fighters know that. They're, they're prize fighters, though. That's what it is. You don't have the Edwin Valeros of the world who just like to fight in the, in the modern era with the exception of possibly Deontay Wilder. He's the only one I could think of who's not an effective belt chaser, you know, I'll take Blair Cobbs too. Blair Cobbs, he likes to fight, right? Wilder likes to fight. I'd say Isak Cruz, maybe, but he's kind of slipped off a little bit. You know, Mario Barrios, I would say, probably likes to fight. There's there's some guys, but nobody on the level of like an Edwin Valero that just, period, no matter what, I don't care who you put in there, I just want to fight. I just want to get, get in the ring and be fighting. Maybe Anui, okay, I'll give you that one. You know, Bam Rodriguez, sure, I'll give you that one. So my point only is I think he's getting unfair criticism as Joshua for the statement that he would rather fight for titles than fight Wilder. It's not that he doesn't want to fight Wilder. He's saying, given a choice, fight this guy for a belt or fight Wilder, he's going to go for the belt every time. The reason I'm critical of him is that when Wilder had the belt, he wasn't going after him when that was the last belt to obtain. It seemed like he was satisfied with the belts that he had. So... That's why I say I think it's a mind. I think his mind's fucked. I don't know if he is on the right mind. And if he's not on the right mind against Otto All-In Volin, you might see an upset here, ladies and gentlemen. Now, some other fights that are happening. These are through the week. So we're done with we're done with today. Now we're on Tuesday. And it's Japan. That's why it's Tuesday. It's a big fight. That's why I'm covering it. I know some people don't like the small guys, but it's a big fight for what it is. 12 rounds of super bandweight action. This is on ESPN Plus. In the U.S., Sky Sports in the U.K., the monster, Naoya Onoi, fighting Marlon Tapolese. And I'm going to cover the undercards as well because some people might like the little guys. I know that they get criticism, but trust me, they give you the action every damn time. But this is for this is all the belts are on the line. So basically, unified super band and weight, undisputed super band and weight is all on the line on this fight. And people are overrating the fight. And I say overrating, not because of Anoe, but because of Tapley's. You know, Anoe is a monster. He he legitimately lives up to the name that he is born. He has been dominant every single time. I have him as number one pound for pound because it's like you have to look at not only who you beat, not only when you beat them, not only how you beat them, but you also have to look at what were the circumstances around the win. And that's the pieces I think people are not resonating with. So if I look at Broner Malinaji, 
Broner Malinaji, Broner arguably did not win that fight. Arguably. But it's one of his signature wins. But he arguably didn't win the fight. It was that close. It was raised close. If I look at Spence versus Porter, you can make a case for Porter, except that Porter got dropped. To me, Porter would have won if he had not gotten dropped. It was close. Okay. If you look at Spence Garcia, Danny Swift, he did not. I mean, there was no question that Spence won the fight. Even Danny's dad said, no, Danny didn't show up. So there was no question there. Spence left no question marks after that win. It was a, it was a clear victory of a top-level guy. It's just people are dismissing the fact that he was a top-level guy. Crawford has asterisks next to every single 147 win, including Spence, although the Spence one's not his fault. There's an asterisk next to each and every one of them. There's some sketchy something, whether it's a trigger ref stoppage or a guy showing up weight-drained or a guy somehow mysteriously getting rocked off a jab when he never had before or a guy, you know, Crawford's holding and hitting, Crawford gets dropped, the ref doesn't call. There's, there's sketchy business around every 147 win. So although he got stoppages on every single win, there's sketchy business. Avenesian with the gloves, the padding. There's sketchy business around every 147. That's that's the beef with Crawford. It's not, everybody else is just saying, no, he's getting knockouts. It's not just that. It's what were the circumstances on every one. And no, he puts a stamp on every damn win he has. And he puts a stamp on every knockout he gets. There's no sketchy business. There's no shady business. The only one you can make in an even remote case is Nonito Denaire. Nonito Denaire is a Hall of Famer. So I, I give him that, okay? It is what it is. Denaire was a fucking Hall of Famer. I'm sorry. It's not the same level. of. It's not the same class. That's a legend in the business. So if anybody was going to test him, it should be a legend irrespective of age because the skill's still there. So I give him that. Other than that, Inouye has not had asterisk next to his wins. It's clear, it's decisive, it's dominant, in addition to the level and the people that we're talking about here. So, I watched this, and Tapolese got knocked out. Knocked out in the 11th. Three losses on the record. Skills there, but he's not the same guy. He's not the same guy he was. So, I question why people are rating Tapolese as high as they are. That's not dinging him. He's skilled, but he got knocked out. He has three losses. I don't see any equal level between these two. You're going to see, and I think it's just because of, of you know, where I think Tapolis is from the Philippines. I think that's what it is. Because no matter what, you cannot disregard and know you, you can't at this point. He just, he just gets it done every single time. And the crazy thing is he just, I think he just turned 30 years old. So there's going to come a point where he's going to have to really, assess his his career and whether how long he's going to keep on going but you know he hasn't had a lot of fights and knowing he hasn't had a lot of fights for his age so but every single one of them has been precise and has been clear and so i i'm i can't see a reason why Inoue does not win this fight that's not dinging on tapolis as a fighter i'm just i don't see a reason he should not win this fight at super bantamweight i think this is going to be a wash I think Topolese is going to get washed. I think it's going to be embarrassing to watch. That's my gut talking. I'll give the undercards, because again, some may actually like the young guys. We've got eight rounds of flyweight action. Uh, Kanamo Saka, uh, Sakama, sorry, versus John Paul. Uh, Gabonilis. I don't know either guy. I've never heard of him. Sakama's from Japan. Uh, Gabonilis, I think he's Philippines too. 
I had never heard of either guy. Uh, on the numbers, it's a pretty good, well-matched fight. I was impressed with the matching, at least. Gavinius has two losses. Sakama's undefeated. Uh, Sakama, so Sakama worries me in at least a couple of fights that I saw. He's undefeated. Uh, there, he's rising, right? So he's on the come up. He's only 20 years old. He's a young kid. But I, I saw some things where it seems like there's going to come a point where he gets matched against the wrong guy, and it'll be like Zhaoshaning where he just gets knocked. And so I'm, 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 I guess the feedback on him would be, I think they need to match. He needs more rounds in the books. He needs more because he's got eight fights, 20 years old. I think he debuted. Yeah. Like two, three years ago. So four fights, that's good pace, but I just, I think he needs more rounds in the books. So this is another eight rounder. And I know the small guys generally like eight rounders. So to me, at an eight-rounder, I would want to see him because he only has 26 rounds in the books and he's been in, you know, as long as he has. And then Gavinius has 57 rounds in the books. So Gavinius has twice the fights. I want to see Sakama. I want to see, like, let's say five fights a year. And I know this sounds aggressive. It's like, what? I want to see more rounds in the books. At, at his age and the number of fights he's got so far, I just think he needs more rounds he needs more rounds booked experience at a pro level against a diverse set of opponents that are not overly dangerous you know some real boxer punchers a couple of sluggers maybe some raw straight boxers just a diverse set of different skills and styles heights weights because i think if they don't do that there's a risk uh, he, again, he gets caught with something. I don't want to see that happen to him. Cause again, I like what I see. I just, I'm seeing some things where I'd, I'd like to see him get a little bit more experience than he is. He's not doing anything wrong. It's just, it's early. So let's do it right. Then, uh, 10 rounds at bantamweight action. Uh, Saya Susumi versus Kazuki Anaguchi. Have not heard of either guy, both undefeated. Uh, Susumi, Susumi, when I watched footage, he, he came off of a draw very recently and I watched him. Uh, he's so in this fight, Anaguchi's the Southpaw. They're equal otherwise. Uh, I think he's a Southpaw. And from what I saw, Susumi, I think it's going to give him some problems. It's my gut. I think that the, although Anaguchi doesn't have a lot of knockout power, I think that it's going to be a little bit awkward for Susumi to kind of get in there and do what he does. He's a knockout, is uh, Susumi. So I think it's going to be hard for him to get in there and do what he does against Anaguchi, but I do suspect that it's it's going to eventually, he'll eventually catch him and uh, get him out of there. It's my gut speaking. I don't know for sure because I, what I saw was hard to tell style-wise and the contrast. He's, you know, Susumi is much more experienced, so I, that will play, but I think the Southpaw is going to give him a little bit of problems. 12 rounds at minimum weight. Some may not even want to see the minimum weights. I'm going to talk about it because one of them I'm, I'm a fan of, a Pedro Tadurin versus Jake Amparo. Amparo, I'm a fan of. This is a good match fight. Numbers are roughly the even same. Tadurin's the southpaw on this one. Tadurin's coming off two losses. One of them was a this uh, technical decision. I think it was off headbutts. And then a uh, decision loss. They're otherwise pretty darn matched uh, even. Uh, Tadurin's the southpaw. But I'm, I'm a big fan of Amparo. And I think Amparo takes this one. Hard to see otherwise, but I don't see a reason otherwise. Then... 10 rounds of super welterweight action. Vito Milnicki Jr. fighting Salim Larby. Great fight. Vito Milnicki, I'm a really big fan of. Um, 
He's coming off a stoppage streak. I expect that stoppage will, streak will continue as Larby is well past the sell date. And that's not dinging him. I'm just telling the truth. He's got 12 losses. <laughs> 36 years old versus Vito's 21. I think it's a wash. That's what we got on deck. It's a great week and weekend, mostly a box, especially if you like the heavyweights. Check it out. The zone pay-per-view. I do think it's worth the money this time. Well, except for boring-ass Frank Sanchez, that is.